Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is sponsored by... Terraform Development is an engineering and architectural design studio company located in Flagstaff, Arizona. Co-owner and founder Eddie Kalnintua supports the Hopi way of life and supports the next generation, including hiring Hopi professionals, individuals like Dr. Brianne Laban from the village of Tewa. Contact Terraform at 928-864-5022, extension 1, or you can email them at info at T-E-R-R-A, the number 4-O-R-M.com, or visit their website at www.terra, the number 4-O-R-M.com to learn more about Terraform development. They can design your next home, manage your next construction project, or fly their latest drone equipment to get aerial views of your project. Welcome back, everybody. It's a great Wednesday af- afternoon or morning. I don't know. I don't know when you guys listen to the to the podcast. But welcome, everybody, to Carl and J-Man Saves the World. My name is Carl, and this is J-Man. Yo, what's going on? Oh, man. So, uh, I, you know, last episode that we talked about was... What did we talk about last episode? Leadership. Leadership. And in Hauteville, I guess um, they they somebody uh, got upset with you. No, no, in they Hauteville. tried to throw you out the village. <laughs> no, no, um, but they uh, they elected me as uh, as one of the village board members. Did they really? They did. No kidding. Yeah, they they elected me, but I didn't accept. Oh, thank God! I know, right? You're you're probably here, like you know. Uh, you know what we should do on Wednesdays is make it Feasel Day. <laughs> <laughs> I order everybody into in the village to listen to our podcast. <laughs> it is a demand that you listen to my podcast in Hotvella, and everybody donate one dollar. <laughs> if everybody donated one dollar in Hotvella, we would have two hundred and ninety-seven dollars. Oh, sweet! Yeah, I think that's how many people are in Hotvella. But anyway, uh, we are back. I mean, we're we're back for the second uh, episode here. Second episode for season two. Oh man, it was it's great, and I love doing this here. I love making you guys laugh. So, and uh, today's today's a real special episode because I think since season one we've been promising special guests, and today we're actually going to deliver. Yeah, yeah, we are. We're gonna we're we're gonna bring on special guests. Um, a lot of it was just a demand. Can we decrease uh, Carl's speaking time on the podcast? <laughs> and so, you know, we thought, how can we fill that void? Let's bring on some special guests. Hey, I my voice is one of the sexiest voices out there. It's not. I don't care what Soul says. <laughs> Soul still thinks I'm cool. I find it disturbing that Soul would tell you that you have a sexy <laughs> voice as well. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into these talk picks here. So... And so today, I, I think that, you know, we really, well, at least in terms of what we've been speaking on before through season one, and then going on into season two, it's kind of just really been you and my perspective, the male perspective in terms of how we've been talking about Hopi, all the different components of Hopi. But I think that, you know, one of the things that's, that's been missing, and we wanted to deliver that today was was the women's perspective, yeah the, the women's perspective of our society, because, you know, we're, we're a matrilineal society, and that's the name of the episode today is a matrilineal society and so we really wanted to pay homage to all of the the momoyam all the the momante and all the manayam out there um especially those you know that listen to our podcast and kind of get at least you know at least their perspective what what their experiences might be out there to the rest of the world about you know what it is that uh, our lifestyles out here out in hopi so like you know the uh women 
play a very, very important role uh, here on Hopi Reservation. So a lot of that... Whose phone is that? Is that my phone? I think that's your phone. That's my phone, right? <laughs> well, this is the things that you have to go through with the podcast here. We this just... is when you work with somebody like Carl. <laughs> Get it together. Oh, shoot. It was our uh, our guest. But uh, we'll... <laughs> we'll call them back. We'll call them back. But anyway, um, you know, uh, the, what was I? The, the women's role. The women's roles play a huge role here on the Hopi Reservation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, we as men, uh, especially during especially during ceremonies and d- during different events, we rely on the women so much to you know uh, cook and clean and help around the house. But that's you know that's just part of being Hopi, I guess. So it's just part of being um, a, a Hopi woman in that in that role, right? You sound like a real caveman there. <laughs> I'm a Hopi man. No, I, you know, for at least I guess for me, the way that I think about it is that um, for for us to have the abilities or even, you know, just our existence. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, that wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for, for women and all of the roles that they play. And, you know, I've always thought that it's uh, kind of a unique, um, I, I guess, uh uh, context because then like we've talked about it before because then like that like the all of those uh things that you mentioned cooking and cleaning and, and keeping the house tending to the children um i think that you know when you talk about more of a i guess a, a contemporary train of thought yeah that you know those ideas really are kind of old school or you know some people probably feel like that those types of ideas don't necessarily belong anymore in um in society that you know women should be a allowed to do a lot of the things that the men do but even in this day and age on the reservation that those really are the roles that young girls are taught and they're taught that those are their duties and so a lot of that type of upbringing is still uh prevalent it's still present within our uh villages and uh in terms of like how we rear our children um so who were some of the prominent women in your life that you can think of when well, you were growing up well you know uh if you talk to any Hopi man around here, he's always going to say his mom or his uh, sisters or, you know, his uh, aunties, mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. guys, you know, and, and I'm, I'm basically the same way, you know, where, where I see my soul uh, as, as a woman who sort of beats me sometimes because I act like an idiot. But besides the point, I believe that <laughs> besides the point there, uh, you know, so is is like this 1950s leave it to beaver kind of woman because she was brought up in that era there oh really yeah so she basically is like that woman who's like you know i gotta please my man so she's always trying to please qua in a way to say that i'm i'm the woman of this house i'm I, I'm the the sole keeper here. Listen to me while I'm giving you you know donuts for dessert pretty much awesome. Is there, was there anybody else, or was it mostly just so? I think it was just mostly so because my sister has not done anything. She's a piptika, <laughs> so she only comes during dances. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> so, Courtney, if you are listening to this right now, don't call me because I won't answer. <laughs> I'm sorry, Courtney. Don't don't hit me. Please don't hit me, uh, Courtney. If you want me to hold him, well, you know. I think, well, at least I think, at least for me, you know, uh, like that, that, that very is true because even, you know, when you're a young child, and I think that we mentioned this, um, previous in an episode that, you know, when you're at your, probably your youngest of ages that you can recall memory, maybe three or four years of age that you're really, um, I guess kind of left with the women yeah, because your fathers or your uncles, anybody that's older, that's a, a male relative that, you know, you could look up potentially to as, as a type of role model. They're out of the house. They're yeah. usually um, in the fields doing field work or during a ceremony time. They're in the give us preparing for the different types of ceremonies within our calendar system that we have. So as children, we're often left with either our mothers, our souls, or even our, our big sisters. And so those are some of the people that I really remember growing up as a kid. I, you know, my mother... 
And, you know, a lot of it was my soul. And then, you know, I, I think I've mentioned before my cousin, the one that I uh, went pee with yeah, in, in yeah. the outhouse. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, she was my cousin, but actually she's my sister, too. Okay. Because we're, we're the same clan. And then um, I had an older sister, too, that I really admired. But because, you know, you kind of at least witness uh, what it is that they did in their day-to-day lives. And so a lot of the things that I recall seeing them doing, at least in terms of work, was like uh, preparing food. Okay. And so sometimes, you know, you see them preparing uh, the traditional foods. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that a lot of uh, us kids really remember sitting in the tumtsoki, watching our either our so'os, our mothers, or our sisters make biki. And so you see them kind of doing that type of thing. And then uh, preparing other types of food, you know, uh, kutuki we talked about before, so miviki, those yeah. types of, of food. So those are some of the things that I really remember witnessing them do. And then, you know, for my soul, um, I think a lot of it too, like cleaning corn, cleaning corn, watching them clean corn was always a big thing. Or even when there was a, a butcher party, when people were butchering, whether that was a sheep or a cow, that was always something too, that I remember kind of being with the women as a kid and watching them do those types of things. See, I, I wasn't brought up where Soo took me to different places like that. Mm-hmm. It was always because I was with my kwa at the field and and with my taha crying at the field as well too. So, um, taha, if you're listening to this, yes, I I cried, uh, you know, when I baslawa for your at your field. So, and he hasn't <laughs> changed very much too. He, he still cries to this day. I still cry when I go to the field. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, like the what when talking about how important women here in the Hopi society is, it it is a really big role that women play. And we are very appreciative because they're the ones who hold the household. They're the ones who take care of the children. They're the one who bring up the children, even if the male part is just there to provide for them. So, you know, Hopi is, is one of the, uh, one of the Native American societies that have that, um, that what, what is it, the maternalistic kind of viewpoint. Matrilineal viewpoint. Matrilineal viewpoint, yeah. And so I guess, you know, with that, with that word, you know, matrilineal, and, and that, that's kind of an important thing about Hopi society because, you know, you're, uh, the women, I guess, in a way, really mold you into who you are. And so a Hopi being a matrilineal society, meaning that, you know, whichever village your mother's from, that's the village that you're from. Yeah. Whichever clan that your mother belongs to, that's the clan that you belong to. And so, and, and I think that because Hopi has that perspective, I think that kind of demonstrates the importance of women within uh, our society. Oh, yeah. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and take a, a quick break and let's listen to our sponsor here uh, of the, uh, the podcast. Nakwet's Vinny Skateboarding. The first Hopi skateboarding brand, Nakwetsuveni skateboards are not only rideable, but are also pieces of art that can be showcased as well. Nakwetsuveni skateboarding is Hopi-owned and one of the first to put Hopi art on skateboards. The owner, Delvin Palalinma, is an avid skateboarder and hopes that his skateboards will inspire others to learn to skate as well as inspire upcoming artists. Nakwetsuveni comes from the Hopi word friendship. Nakotsveni Skateboarding aims to create a presence for Hopi and indigenous people in the world of skateboarding and art. They can be found on Facebook and Instagram and to purchase merchandise, they can be found at squareup.com forward slash store forward slash Nakotsveni Skateboarding. And Strong Ones is dedicated to exposing cultural traditions of running that exist within many cultures and tribes worldwide through running apparel. Strong Ones is an individually owned business supporting cultural running traditions and supporting local organizations within the Hopi Reservation. They can be found at strongones.myshopify.com. Again, that's strongones.myshopify.com. They are also on Facebook at strongones15. And so I think that because of how important our women are are in, in our society, I well, you know, I, I think that in comparison to um, other tribes, at least in the way that I've learned it, is that Hopi women, you know, even I, I guess on the surface of it, you couldn't really necessarily tell. But uh, when you delve into and learning more about um, the place that women have in our society is that uh, in terms of ownership, they own a lot of things in the village, right? Yeah. Yeah, actually, they do. 
And so, like, you know, if you're talking about ownership, they actually own land, they actually mm-hmm. own fields, they actually own houses. Mm-hmm. So all of the, all of the, all, I don't know what men own. What do men own? Uh, we own our, our clothes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I own my TV, I should say that. <laughs> I, I, own, want... I own my Xbox. <laughs> Although technically, I think maybe my wife bought it for me. <laughs> so she owns that. So there is a saying that in Hopi that if you do get a divorce, everything that's in the house becomes the woman's. Mm-hmm, so basically mm-hmm. you leave with the clothes on your back. And your bedroll. And your bedroll. Your appa. Yep. It's basically it. And you go back to mama and cry to her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it, it's such a, I guess, a, a juxtaposed um, situation and compared to the Western society, correct? Because then I guess, you know, oh, like yeah. you, you hear about history, um, about the United States, and you hear things like women weren't allowed to vote until, you know, so many years after um, the voting system was established oh, yeah. or, you know, other types of things, you know, yeah. women didn't own property, I don't think, until a certain point. But at least for Hopis, that that it was always the women that owned the lands, that they owned the cornfields, that they owned the houses that, you know, all of us uh, grew up in. And so that even things like, you know, some of the things that we do, like, you know, for us Hopi men that are farmers, yeah. when we're farming our field and when it comes time to for the harvest, and all of the all of the uh, the nut money that we harvest, all of the corn, the beans, the melon, and when that's brought to the female, when that's handed over either to your mother or to your wife, then that becomes hers too as and well. That, yep, all of everything that we do as male counterparts in the Hopi society becomes the woman. So, so I guess in a way, it's like uh, when when you get paid that you know your your the deposits <laughs> really going into your wife or your to your mother's bank account. And I I never have own. that problem. I never had that problem before. So, <laughs> I guess now I know really know why you're you've been single all exactly. these years. Exactly, I am stingy. You know, when I go when I go from this earth here, I want you to deposit, take out all my money, and just throw it into the hole that I'm in, and just and I'll just say, you know, I'm keeping my money here. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, because I think that that's such a unique, I guess, way of living or even a, a unique way of how our society is structured, that it's very much different from, I guess, like uh, maybe the, the, the Western or the predominant way of how people live their lives or view their society. And yeah. so I guess, you know, instead of us just, you know, talking about it all the time, why don't we get the... The women's perspective. Oh, yeah. Let's go ahead and do that. Let's go ahead and introduce our uh, guest. Our special guest. Our special guest here that are in the studio right now. Well, actually, one is. So... (laughs) And so uh, our special guests, if, if, if you want to introduce yourselves, um, but, you know, me and Carl, we kind of uh, use our names our, our, as our enemy. What do you call it? Our, our fake names so that when we piss people off that people don't really know who we are. Because Carl's uh, real name our, is actually uh, DeAndre. Uh, I'm not supposed to say De- that DeAndre. <laughs> hey, man, what you going to do, man? <laughs> I'm DeAndre. <laughs> Welcome our first guest, Wendy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and go ahead and go ahead. Hi, hi, everybody. <laughs> and on the phone, uh, we have uh, Marissa. Hello. Okay. There she is. There's, there all she right, is. Marissa. Marissa and Wendy. Marissa and Wendy. There are special guests uh, that will be talking with us throughout this uh, podcast here, or this uh, episode here. So uh, let's give them a round of applause. And so, Marissa and Wendy, you guys have heard our podcast. You heard uh, some of the conversations that we had in season one. Um, I think that probably our most popular episodes were our Growing Up Res episodes, and you know, kind of where we talked, reminisced, and remembered some of these experiences that we had growing up out here on the reservation. But if you all can tell our audience out there, what are some unique experiences growing up on the reservation that pertain specifically to the female? Population. When I was small, I used to really enjoy harvesting like melamine and all the different plants um, because I also stayed with my grandmother um, before I was in school. So um, doing that and mixing like the sticky and all the different types of tea, and a lot of people just know hohoisi, but there's, uh, there's a couple other ones that we used to pick. So um, that and doing pottery. Um, going out and getting 
the clay and just mix things. Back then, I didn't think it was mixing. I just knew it was hard to clean with clay. Okay. Okay. All right. And um, for me, um, growing up, I grew up in a, a multi-generational household. So you know, I, I grew up in a home with my so'os, my tahas, my mom, my, you know. And so one of the unique experiences that I have is just um, is, you know, taking care of, you know, a big family and and cooking cooking a lot <laughs> there was a lot of cooking going on and um and being around my soul a lot uh, my mom worked and so but we all lived in the same house so we were home with our soul and we would we would be around our soul and watch her and her buddies um all the souls we had we actually had a thimsoke inside our house so all the souls in k-town gathered there and they all hung out there and made beaky and I would, you know, get them snacks and feed them, watch them and, you know, just kind of listen to them talk. And those are some of the, the cool things that I remember that I really enjoyed and, and, you know, preparing food for a big home. That was a big part of my life growing up. That's awesome. Carl, did you ever learn to cook when you were a kid? No, I never learned to cook when I was a kid. No? No. So- I. I think someone never taught me how to do the the cooking or anything like that. So when when I went to college, the first time I went to college, I had no idea what to cook because I only seen Seoul cook for like a household of like seven or eight people. So I said, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to try out cooking. So I said, I'm going to make myself, uh, you know, eggs and potatoes and, uh, you know, hot dogs and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and get, uh, you know, so, so it gets like at least five or six potatoes to, to, uh, to feed people. So I said, you know what? I think, I think I can eat five or six potatoes. So I go ahead and start chopping up the potatoes and I'm like, this is a lot of potatoes here. What am I going to do? And I was like, oh my God, it's like this, I can't. And I just chopped off all five potatoes and I didn't know that you have to like, you know, uh, like wash them as, as well too. (laughs) I didn't know that. I didn't know that at the time. So I, uh, I just, I said, I, I think this is what soul does. So I just threw everything in the pot and, uh, I just turned it on and I just left it and it was, it turned mushy. (laughs) And it's (laughs) It's like, how, how does she get, you know, and I was like, how does she get it to be crispy? Like the potato, potato things. As this is all mushy here. And I'm like, so I call Sol. I'm going to say, Hey, Sol, how do you get like crispy potato wedgies? And she's like, you put them in the oven. And I'm like, but I, I, I put them on the stove. Is that the same thing? And I was like, she's like, no, you put it in the oven. How do you do that? How do you how do so, you do that? So long story long, <laughs> you didn't know how to cook potatoes. I didn't know how to cook potatoes. <laughs> so back to Wendy and Marissa. <laughs> In terms of, I guess, I one of the, one of the things that I think we had a lot of fun talking about when we were talking about growing up on the res was a uh, res slang. So what are some uh, res words that you guys used to wor- use or or slang words? Because uh, I I know that you guys are from a different part of the reservation that I'm from, so you guys probably weren't saying the knees as much as as, <laughs> as cups were. But what were some words that you guys would say? Well, um, I I know that we said knee a lot in K Town, and my cousin, um, my neighbor next door, she used to say say it pretty hard we used to make fun of her because you know she but um i also um was raised a lot by my kwa who was from Songopavi. and so i spent a lot of time up there and something i know you know was said often when we were up there you kind of adapt to your surroundings so if you're in k-town you'll say and if you go to Songopavi, you'll say and your tongue sticking out of your mouth when you say it and um, those are the two main slings um, that um, that we said in terms of Hopi. Um, there's a lot of other slang that, you know, you say um, to one another. And somebody just brought one up recently. I can't remember. But, it's, you know, as far as Hopi terms or, or Hopi responses, those are the two that I remember the most. Ah, yeah. You know, I never hung out with... Uh, with girls, pretty as, as it's pretty evident that that's yeah. the case, Carl. 
<laughs> it was sort of like that creeper kid in the back and at classroom was like, stay away from Carl. Not much has changed. <laughs> yeah, but I know, I know that um, in Palaka it's different. And again, you adapt to your surroundings. So when I got into junior high, I was around a lot of, I made a lot of friends from that area and their slang. I think Marissa can pick up what some of the words that they say on that side. Um, I think that another one that we probably didn't say a lot to that a lot of the women mostly say is uh, us. <laughs> or uspi. Uspi. What does that mean? What does, well, I guess us is short for uspi, but for the non-speakers out there, what does that mean? Um, to me, uspi is just like, almost like a whatever or like a, like a, I don't <laughs> I don't know. A slayer, a slayer, <laughs> or kind of like a are are you serious type yeah. of thing, maybe. Yeah, yeah, like a, a speed, yeah, and like are you serious? Almost kind of like a, like a. You kind of say it a lot when somebody's squeevy or you know, mm-hmm. like you're kind of mm-hmm. like there. So you say that a lot to. Them. So what? what the, so do you say that to your husband a lot? Yes, I do. <laughs> 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 I, I I believe that. Yeah, and I think Marissa's back. So, Wissa, we were asking you, Marissa, we were asking you, um, what some of the slang um, that you you remember saying growing up. I know when I was little, we used to say like "ish," and it's still like that. <laughs> ish, 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 and then like uh, when you. Get I, I'm from Palaka or presumably, but I lived in Cape Town until I was in college. Oh, yeah. So I had like Sister Mesa um, slang too, but like I used to always be annoyed because the biggest thing we would say at Palaka was, ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one that was waiting for. <laughs> so, so Marissa, how would you use that in a sentence? <laughs> <laughs> you would say after every statement. So it's like a period, like, uh, yeah. We're running, we're running. Look at that bush. Ah, this girl's silly. Silly. <laughs> you just used it every single time. And I remember my mom like, I'm going to put chili in your mouth if you keep saying that. <laughs> <laughs> look at that guy's hair. Ah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was everybody that was with you said it all at the same time. <laughs> They're like like chicken sort of like right yeah but now you hear i <laughs> and then i i well, well Marissa, i don't know if you're you said it but um the other one too that i don't think we said a whole lot on on this podcast was uh is oh yeah, yeah the, the is, is. Despite what the Navajos would have you believe, it was actually our Hopi women that were saying that a whole lot, right? <laughs> it's, it's like it's short for it's Anna or it's Tati or it's like a, it's an exaggeration of a measurement seems like almost. Or. Oh, yeah. Now my daughter says that and I'm like, we really say that in the house. <laughs> <laughs> And one of the funniest things about slang is there was one that we picked up in junior high with my Palaka friends and we'd say, like, you know, we'd like say some statement and we'd be like, and when I'm with my friend, we still say it only when I'm with her. That's when it comes out. (laughs) All right. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, take another break and let's go ahead and listen to our next sponsor that's sponsoring this video here. Dene Mahapi Arts is a modern art made with traditional values. Dene is involving artists who is innovative through her artwork, while incorporating contemporary modern trends and bright colors being the base of her work. Hopi traditional elements is her main focus, giving her artwork an intricate finish. Though she's living in today's modern society, she paints meaning and value of traditional designs to showcase and symbolizes her upbringing out on Hopi. She specializes in customized painting, painted earrings to her colorful, bright canvas paintings and much more. Danae can be found on Instagram at Arts, where you can find and support her one-of-a-kind art pieces. And we're back. And so uh, talking about slang words, but if we can get serious here for a moment. <laughs> All right, go ahead. And so uh, talking about um, the, the women's perspective, I guess in terms of the perspectives that you both have had in terms of growing up on the reservation, 
Um, who were some women that you both might have looked up to growing up as as children on the reservation? I'll answer first. I think the biggest ones were my my sisters in that in First Mesa area. We call our grandma sisters, um, and it wasn't. It was my uh, my dad's mom, my sister Lloyd, who I really learned a lot of. Um, our traditions, our beliefs from. Um, and it wasn't until I was older that I got close with my sister Betty. Maybe when I was like in sixth grade, you know, I finally started um, being more with them. But both and their sisters, there's so I was fortunate enough that my grandparents lived across the road from each other since all their sisters have their houses right next to each other. So I was with Sister Lois and my grandma Clarice and everybody else would always be around um, because they're always doing something or preparing something. And well, yeah, yeah. Sister Betty, my Sister Betty on the other side of the road, you know, we had our clan relatives and um, so them and then my my mom my um, and my yes, my mom and my mom's probably the next biggest person um she's really strict in our belief and sometimes the way things are done now she's like nope that's not how we do it and if they're gonna do it like that let them do it like that but this is our belief and this is why we do the things that we do so she's um she's somebody i really admire because she's not a great and um contribute the way she knows how to do it um and then lastly, my dad, my my dad's sisters and his clan sisters. He has a big family, but you know that everything that goes on in my life, the um, other brothers and sisters' lives are right there. Um, they're still learning too, but you know they're they're teaching. We're all learning at the same time, and they're still teaching us. So those are the women that I really looked up to when I was. Um, growing up and I'm, I'm so grateful because they because they were older and I was young I sometimes feel like I'm an old person I have an old person spirit um, <laughs> even though I'm probably the youngest one kind of like Carl in the past <laughs> I'm, I'm a young buck yet so I I have big antlers <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, I um, I can relate to what Marissa, you know, as far as her role models. There were three people, you know, when they, when they think back on who the three people, key people for me, it was my soul. Um, her name was Mildred and my big mom, my, my mom's sister. We called her big mom growing up. Uh-huh. And then my mom, um, and it's so funny because... Um, Marissa and I grew up together because my mom and her mom were really close. And those things that she mentioned in terms of, you know, our moms being strict in how things should be done. That was my mom. And so like with my mom, she scared me. She, you know, I I had to think about this. Did I really look up to her? And I did, but I was scared of her because she was always correcting me. She was always saying things shouldn't be done like this or this is wrong. But my soul, I didn't get to spend too much time with her. Um, she passed away by the time I was in finishing elementary school. And But what I look up to the most about her was um, her uh, her welcome, her, her how she was so welcome to everybody. Um, we had our all of our cousins that spent the entire summer with us um, in K-Town. They had all these rooms made up and there was, you know, like sometimes 20 of us in the home. And she was always happy to have everybody home. And um, I was telling my husband um, that I I didn't know, you know, a lot. And she got a stroke when I, she, I was probably in third grade. But I remember watching her make cinnamon rolls. And she didn't, you know, I was sitting at, standing at the table watching her. And that's how I make my cinnamon rolls today from what I remember watching her at that time. My big mom was the the one that I looked up to the most because she was nice. She was kind. And she actually, 
She lived in Grand Canyon for, you know, the entire time that I've I've been here and but she came home every weekend and to this day she still does. And I mean, you know, right now where she can't because of what's going on in the world, but she comes home every single weekend. And she was the the one that taught me all the skills that I have in the kitchen. She's the one that I looked up to in terms of providing that emotional side of, you know, being there for family. And so those are the three people that I look up to growing up. So, so a, a lot of cooking. Yeah. So. A lot, a lot of cooking. Man, and it, it is it is rare that nowadays Hopi girls have some sort of role model that they look up to, especially with like an older generation role model. Because now nowadays, you know, the generation that they're uh, they're looking up to is like uh, what was um, uh, um, like you know all these. Uh, you want a buoy there for? Uh, <laughs> The drowning that you're doing in the, in the I'm water trying there. To, I'm trying, trying to think. To I'm trying to paint a picture right now, and I'm trying to um, Kim Kardashian why kind why of. Why don't you leave it to the professionals? <laughs> no, I, what I was trying to say was that, um, like, you know, nowadays young girls look at, like, role models of, like, Kim Kardashian or, like, you know. Uh, uh, Cardi like, B. Uh, yeah, Cardi B or uh, what was the other? Mar- Marissa, does WAP really stand for uh, <laughs> we're at Palaka? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I i have a question i i have a question for you two uh since you both uh, kind of told us that you both have ex, uh, experience at a very young age um learning how to cook and cook for for vast amounts of people um how do you make your fry bread ah <laughs> nah. is, is, is it a secret Why recipe that to be fry bread why can it be a like, like store-bought bread. Why can't it just be store-bought bread? <laughs> in my sister's no. case, store-bought bread. That's funny. My, my sister Lois and oh, my oh, both uh, of them, they always say, you be happy when you make your so that people who eat it will be happy too. And you always make extra, whatever you're cooking, always, because you never know who's going to stop by and and it was true, you know, somebody always came by and they always had cookies or they always had bread or something to offer them that was fresh still on the table. So to this day, I still practice that. Yeah, see, I never knew about that because that's what Soul always does. You know, she always uh, tries to invite uh, other people that just walk by the house. And that's just Hopi tradition of a woman inviting everybody to come and eat her food, basically. And that's why she makes extra. And I'm like, so don't make, you know, we're not going to eat all of this thing here. And I don't want to be eating beans for a week. <laughs> okay, let me uh, Hopify that question. Uh, what's the secret to making good yeast bread? <laughs> Make it yeah. Do 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 you measure? And I think I already know the answer to that. And why not? Do you measure? No, we don't measure. You just use your hand, and you you just know. You know Are, is know. there is there a recipe? Is there a recipe online that you can follow? Does Martha Stewart do this? <laughs> I know that from like Palaka area, we mix our dry ingredients first, and then we add our liquid ingredients like other way around. Yeah, I noticed the differences in that bilaviki when it's made in separate in the different areas. They say that like the, or I've noticed that in Palaka they that they try to make their dough tough. <laughs> and they kind of set it out and because they want it like a certain way and then out and then I've I've been raised you know differently to when we do we do our our wet ingredients first and then the limni goes in last so that I don't know I didn't realize that you guys did dry first I the they just throw in dry <laughs> dry things I I they just threw, keep on throwing dry things and then up here they're just like uh, <laughs> Just well, I, I guess we'll we'll have to ask the first Mason men, and <laughs> the third Mason men. You know, do you like your bread like your uh, your women tough? 
our, I, I guess on our side, it's the, do you like? I said the dough is tougher than what we make, how we make it, but it turns out really good. Well, well I guess that goes to show that. Yeah. Ask the ask ask the the Palaka women. Do you beat your men with the uh, tough bread or uh, what? <laughs> I, I think where you're trying. It's there you go. Ask these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep, okay. on throwing, just keep on throwing on okay, in there. Another question. Another question to to, to make things uh, a little bit serious. <laughs> Do you guys have wussy hands? <laughs> and why is it called wussy hands? My my twelve year old boy mind just kind of came out there. So. Uh, I have wussy hands. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Carl has squissy hands too, but for a different reason. <laughs> so, for our non Hopi speakers out there, squissy <laughs> means two different things in in uh, Hopi language. So, one means one means a body part, and the other means like you know uh, toughness of the of of the hands. Okay, so uh, getting us back on track. Uh, well, I guess that, you know, both of you did talk about how you, uh, at least as in, in your upbringings, were taught, you know, the importance of uh, serving within uh, your household as Hopi women and then the importance of serving within the overall village community. And so, you know, Carl and I, this has kind of always been a, a big dialogue over a lot of our episodes in terms of, you know, kind of living this uh, two-sided life, I guess. The, yeah. Nav- navigating the, uh, the the Hopi life, the Hopi way of life and then the pahana way of life um for for where you guys are at right now at in your lives how involved are you with uh the the ceremonies and other things that go on out on the reservation um well for me i'm actually i like to think i'm pretty involved (laughs) um and a big reason for that is because I lost my mom about seven years ago. And um, I'm the oldest female of the family and of, of my mom's children. And, you know, one of the things that was constantly said to me was that you're the oldest now. You're, you know, you have to take care of all these things. So I have to, you know, I've, I've, re- I've, I've accepted the fact that I can't move away from home because there's so much that I have to do here um, as a mom, as a soul, as a sister, uh, as a godmother, you know, in order to completely do all of these things that we are supposed to do, it's best if we're home. And um, that's something and that's what I understand now with my mom. My mom never left and I watched her uh, be there for my kua be there for my soul, you know, day in and day out. And so, you know, those are the types of, I guess, values I learned. And so, you know, sometimes moving away sounds tempting, you know, there's all these things you want to, you want a better education for your kids or, you know, there's just all the, there's no opportunity. And I've kind of come to accept that I have to make my opportunities happen here because I have to be here for all of these things that being a mom and a soul and a sister. Um, co- are involved with. Wait, you're a soul? I'm a soul. You're a soul? Yeah. Mm. My brothers. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. <laughs> yeah, I'm a soul to two beautiful gr- pumpkin girls out this? in Sabalavi. <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying that. <laughs> wow. I, I didn't know. I never knew that. I never knew that. I'm. And that's that be, that's because, um, with my mom being gone, I took over her role in that for my brother's girls. Oh, okay. So that I'm now my brother's um, girls' grandmother. Uh, oh, okay. Doing I, the whole I, I naming now. and everything. Yeah, not my own girls. Oh, okay. I guess it's that's just is. <laughs> so, Marissa, on the on the same notes, um, do you have anything to add to that? No, I, I think that um, the same with Wendy, you know, we've, we've lived off the reservation, but close enough to be home, to come home. We've been in Flagstaff for the past 10 years, and it was um, 
just a way of, you know, getting a job and getting experience. Um, but then being able to come home. And then when I have of my own and I have, we have probably uh, 13 or 14 bad children. Um, it became surreal, you know, that our responsibility for home and tradition is way more important. And uh, so we moved home, and, and part of that was because, you know, we wanted our children to be emerged in our um, whole calendar cycle of things and not just coming home. And, and that's something, you know, that I, I try to teach my uh, godchildren and my nieces and nephews is now that when something happens it just doesn't happen there's a whole bunch of footwork behind it and um, I want them to be able to know that and learn it and know that it's not hard work but it it is hard work but not to think of it like that but it's just part of our cycle of life not just for ourselves but you know for the whole world so we can continue to thrive. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I agree with Wendy as well. And so I think going on that too, I think that something else that's really unique to uh, Hopi society is that, you know, a lot of us nowadays, we are all employed. Uh, to some degree, at least a lot of us are, and, you know, a lot of us are employed uh, full-time. And so I think that, you know, one of the things that um, I, I guess kind of can kind of make it tough, you know, when you're living out here on the reservation full-time is that oftentimes you're trying to uh, su- support your family in a monetary way. But then also, too, you're still trying to uphold your um, your duties and responsibilities in regards to our culture, our religion. And so, you know, both for the male and the female side that we both have to um, kind of commit, a, I guess, a, a pretty, pretty good amount of our own time to uh, this ceremonial calendar that we have. So, you know, speaking to that, um, what would you say that, you know, some of the difficulties are or, you know, some of the unique ways that you've had to manage not only being uh, a mother, a wife, and then also um, having a profession as well? For me, I always tell my employer that um, if I get offered the job that my family and my culture responsibilities come first and I give them a head step because my mom told me when I first started working I expect you to be home during these times of years and it doesn't matter what's going on outside of Hopi you have to be home so whether I was supposed to speak at a national conference or whatever she's like nope you need to be home so I let them know ahead of time you know these are the times that I'm going to request off and I'm just letting you guys know before you hire me. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, just driving back and forth at night and going home maybe early. We've done this several times that we come home in the morning to do what we had to do, then drive back and then come back in the evening. So making multiple trips a day um, back and forth. But, um, I think, yeah, just being honest with work and stuff and putting your priorities where you want them to be. Sort at of, least something helps me. Sort of just like uh, keeping your priorities uh, in check of like uh, what what needs to be done out home versus what needs to be done in the Bahana world because it is it is hard for women to do those types of things. And it is hard for Hopi men and women to do that as well, too, is when they do have a profession, uh, they, they struggle with that whole uh, idea of uh, trying to be traditional and trying to be professional at the same time. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I have to like agree with what Marissa, with what Marissa said in terms of the difficulties. I think those are the two main difficulties and thankfully I've been able to you know have been employed a majority of my adult life um, with a Hopi organization that I was able to you know they were very understanding of it but the tough part was um, when I lived away from home the distance and even now you know living in Tuba 
because, you know, I want it to be close to work instead of driving back and forth from Kikotsmovi to Munkapi. And then now my work is here. <laughs> and so now I struggle with that. And, you know, but I, I moved to Tuba thinking like this is going to make it easier for, for me. But like that, when, when I first had my first granddaughter, you know, my like, you know, my mom, you don't cut corners when you're doing these things, when you're taking care of them, you, you know, you should always be there every day taking care of that baby. And so I did for 20 days. I drove every morning. I woke up early in the morning and I drove from Tuba to Sapalavi for 20 some days so I could do what was supposed to because I know my mom's above watching me and, you know, is going to be upset if I don't do it the way that she taught me. And, um, and then, you know, just um, doing those kinds of things is always hard. Um, having somebody, you know, to, even though they're not here, you know that they're, you, you kind of always feel like they're watching you and that they're criticizing, you know, how you're doing things. So those are the things that kind of keep me going and trying to do things that I think my mom would be proud of. Yeah, I, I understand all too well about that. And because, you know, there, you know, because Sol has a lot of you know, kids that she wash the hair and stuff like that and it was up to her that uh that she she did that she drove because uh, i didn't want to take her every morning to do that kind of stuff because i'm i'm too lazy to take soul places so but but anyway you know it, it's 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 a woman's job and it, and woman's job is a lot harder than than a man's job i guess you could say in in a um in a uh in a hopi setting i guess yeah, it's very difficult. And so I, I think that we have time for at least one more question and then, you know, we'll, we'll close out. But I, I think that, you know, and, and Carl and I have talked about this before on previous episodes, kind of, you know, just trying to be a Hopi in the 21st century, I guess, and, you know, trying, still trying hard to um, carry the values and the lessons that you learned on the reservation from a traditional Hopi uh, context and then, you know, moving out, obtaining your education. But then, you know, you're, you're kind of around in that uh, modern type of society where uh, the ideas of gender roles are kind of um, being phased out or the ideas of, uh, I guess, how it used to be back in the day are, are kind of perceived as old school or um, kind of, uh, I guess, cavemanish ways. So how do you guys... Um, what are your perspectives on Western ideas of feminism and how it affects Hopi cultural gender roles? <laughs> uh, I have a funny story that can kind of relate to that. So growing up, like I said, you know, I took care of my kwa. My kwa um, was always going to his village at Sngopavi, but he'd come home. But every day we had to have breakfast, lunch and dinner, you know, ready for him. And it was something that we had to do that we just knew. And so um, I remember one time my taha was, you know, saying in this kind of annoyed voice, like, you know, you guys just, you know, go ahead, just sits there and you guys just serve him left and right. And, you know, like kind of made a comment like he was almost like he was disgusted with it. And I kind of just looked at him surprised because that's just how I knew we were supposed to be. And, um, you know, like I kind of see, you know, now in where I'm at today in terms of, you know, we we need our men to <laughs> we we want our men we want to be equal and we want you know we want the men to cook too or we want him <laughs> to wash the dishes too you know and it's funny because i was um i was um got i get dinner ready and i was um setting i set the table i told everyone to come eat and you know um my husband you know had just we wait for him to come home from the field and that's when that happens and he was sitting there and I wasn't done setting the table, but there was some food there and he asked for something. You know, he kind of does this often and he'll ask and it's like he could just simply just get up and grab the um, the salt that's at the other end of the table. But he'll sit there and I'll watch him and I'll be like, oh, my gosh, you can get up and get that salt. And so I, 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 I must be saying that to him often because the other night, you know, I asked for my drink and my daughter she told me, she said, you can get that. You can get up and get it yourself. 
And I looked at her and I was like, Mano, you don't talk to me like that. And she was, you know, real innocent. And she said, well, that's what you say all the time to daddy when we're eating dinner. <laughs> and, you know, and I had to catch myself because, you know, I mean, I, I understand. I understand that, you know, because I do, I have expectations too on how he contributes. But um, I had to think back to my ko'a, you know, and my taha and, you know, those things. But, you know, back then it wasn't an issue for me. And growing <laughs> up, growing up now and, you know, just some of these things, you know, I, I've kind of, I have to remind myself and go back to how I was taught. And because I catch myself. So that's just one of the many, you know, examples of how we expect, you know, the male side to contribute when in Hopi, there's a lot of things that, you know, men shouldn't have, shouldn't be doing. And it's, it's the women's job. And it sounds very, um, I don't know what's that word, the, um, uh, not the, the men's side, like, you know, women should be doing this or, you know, that, Oh, like uh, masochists, gender roles. Gender, yeah. Yeah, I I understand. But yeah, so, but it's just, for me, I was taught that, you know, I I know what I'm supposed to do. I know where I'm not supposed to be. I know what, you know, those types of things as far as what I was taught. And so I try to watch myself. (laughs) (laughs) And then Marissa, if you want to add... You yeah, when she said that, I, I was thinking the same thing because my my thoughts on that were like, I in college, all through college, I was part of this feminist group where we would, you know, protest about different feminist issues and we wanted like the um, neutral gender bathrooms and all this stuff. And then I come home and I'm like, okay, now I can't think like that. I have to, <laughs> you know, just abide by what I was taught and, you know, uh, kind of serve the men in my family, which I have no problem doing for my papa and my sahas and my dads and my brothers. But then when it comes to my husband in our own home, like I have a different <laughs> like, expectation from him. I expect him to have me. It's, and that wasn't so until we probably had kids that I expected him to be more of a house around the house and in the kitchen and like not cooking or that, but like you know, hitting the table or something like that. So I think it definitely has changed over generations because my sister, you know, I think about her, my sister Betty, how she did everything for my papa and even ironed, ironed his lumos and it's, like it's. his socks and everything. <laughs> I don't think I can do that, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it definitely has changed and, um, and when, I, I, when we're on the mesa, when something's going on, I have to, you know, okay. We have, you know, the boys and we have my nephews now that they're older helping us wash dishes and stuff. And that's something that, you know, we teach them nowadays is you help out where you can when, of course, they're not wimp guests, so they're all around us all the time. But, you know, they're willing to help us and I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, and and you know, like when when I was younger, uh, of course, so taught me the different, uh, just simple household, like you know, clean up your toys, you know, put away your Power Man Rangers, and you know, put you know, put away different things like that, and and it's just, I guess, just helping her out in that in that sense there. So, uh, you know, I think it's come down to that time there uh, uh, till we part ways. But Soul refused to iron your underwear, huh? <laughs> Aye. <laughs> well, we'd like to thank our guests. Yeah, I'd like to thank uh, Marissa and Wendy for being here with us. And then, you know, on that note, on closing out today's uh, episode, we definitely like to send some shout outs. Uh, thanks some supporters, some folks that have uh, really been generous. Oh, yeah. Us yeah. And supporting our group. Uh, we got uh, Crystal Dennison. We also got uh, Tanya. And I'm really sorry. I know I'm probably not going to say this correctly. Uh, Blue Galuk. And then also another shout out to our boy uh, Miller. Miller Kawanyama. Uh, Ah, yeah, he's he's actually our greatest sponsor for this podcast. Thank you, Millard, again. Give him a round of applause. And then also, right. two big shout-outs again to our sponsors, uh, Nakwetsu Veni Skateboarding, Strong Ones Running Company, 
Terraform Development, and then also Denae Mahapi Arts. Ooh, Denae Mahapi Arts. What do they do? Arts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I think that it, uh, we're going to wrap this whole thing up. Thank you again. And a reminder, we are on YouTube. Oh, yeah. So if you are listening to us on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and uh, like our videos. Oh, yeah. Subscribe. Hit the button uh, down below and... Uh, you know, just go ahead and subscribe to us and also hit that notification uh, button too, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can be informed when our next podcast is uh, up and running. And we got a special project coming up. And so if you want to subscribe to our YouTube now, oh yeah, you'll be notified of that very quickly. Oh yes. Yes. Subscribe. And thank you again. I'm your host, Carl. And this is J-Man, my best friend. Uh, thank you for listening to Carl and J-Man Save the World podcast that took the whole breath out of me so long <laughs>